All right, so this is uh, class number 22. We're continuing to answer this question, what is man? And this is our ninth class in committed to, devoted to answering this question. And we're still on the part where it says that uh, man is created in the image and likeness of, um, of God. And so uh, just a real quick uh, um, overview of these things. We've said that man is a God-class being. We've said that man is a spirit being. We've said that man is the legal authority on earth, and we've said that man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Now, we've referred to that statement multiple times in previous classes, but the last few classes, we've been looking at specific details, things that we have the ability to do, uh, abilities, characteristics, attributes, that exist in us because we were created in the image and likeness of God. In other words, we can do these things because God can do these things. Remember, created in His image and likeness means to look like He looks and to function the way He functions or to operate the way He operates. And so God created us in such a way as to be able to operate the way He operates. And, and in order for us to operate the way He operates, He had to create us with certain abilities, attributes, what have you. Um, you know, to be able to, to accomplish that. And so um, we've been looking at a list of five. Uh, I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, uh, but it is at least five of the, of the key attributes that I believe uh, are extremely important to, to life and living. And so the first one we talked about was our ability to think, reason, and form opinions. The second one was our ability to agree. The third characteristic attribute that we possess uh, because we're created in the image and likeness of God, is the ability to believe. And this is, we started that one last week and are a little more than halfway through it. We're going to pick back up where we left off on that one last week. And then number four, uh, we should get to it tonight as well, at least to start it, is that man is, is a being that has the ability to experience and express emotions. And then the fifth one that we'll talk about might be a bit um, ambitious to think we could get all the way to number five tonight, but we'll, we'll do our best. We'll, we'll take the time remaining that we have uh, and, uh, and devote uh, to that. So, uh, again, there, there's the uh, five uh, characteristics, abilities, uh, uh, things that we have the ability to do because we're created the image and likeness of God. So just, again, to remind you that these things uh, go to answering this question, what is man? Um, you got to know what you are to know who you are, you got to know who you are to know why you are. And so these are very foundation, very important fundamental foundational truths uh, for us to uh, dig into, understand, and uh, digest and incorporate into our lives. The other thing is, you know, God is a God of change. He's a God of transformation. He's a God of restoration. And if, if you're interested in, in changing, we've said that these five uh, characteristics, abilities, attributes, that, that, that these things are an underlying cause of change. In other words, if you want to change your life, you're going to have to have change in the way you think, a change in what you believe, uh, change in how you manage your emotions, change in the, in, in the words that come out of your mouth. And because these things are dynamic, uh, and that also means they're always at work, um, as, as we, this is why David prayed to God constantly that what he was thinking and what he was saying would be pleasing and acceptable in, in God's sight because there's such a powerful connection between our thoughts and, and, and our words and, and, and the quality of life uh, that we experience and enjoy. And so again, if, if you are interested in experiencing positive change in your, in your life, these are some very important 
uh, and practical things that we can focus on, you can focus on uh, to experience uh, that change. We also said that these uh, were also interactive, meaning they compound upon one another. Um, how we think obviously affects how we feel, and how we feel obviously uh, affects you know how we speak and 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 the heart and and, and uh, emotion feelings behind the words um, that we say. Now we're going to continue. Let's jump back in where we were last week, talking about our ability to uh, believe, and we distinguished our ability to believe from faith. and And I'm doing that more for um, illustration because. The words can be used synonymously, belief uh, and faith, just like unbelief and doubt. Um, but I'm, I'm using, because every human being has this ability to believe. Um, it's, an, it's an attribute that, that we possess because, again, created in the image and likeness of God. And we said that, remember, that, that Satan wants to use these things against you. Um, he, he wants to try to influence your thinking, wrong thinking, negative thinking. Uh, because he knows the, the impact that will ultimately have on your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, to him who believes all things are possible. So we see that Satan wants to try to you know, hijack these abilities uh, and try to use those uh, things, what you are, if you will, um, against you. And so to, for the sake of our teaching and, and for greater understanding, when we talk about belief in the sense of believing God, this is what I mean by faith, and faith is always connected with something that God has said, who God is and what God um, has spoken. And, and so um, this would how faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, we covered all that last week. But then we also said that your ability to believe used against you uh, equals fear in your life. Uh, in any, any area in your life that involves fear, and the Bible says fear has torment, um, it's your ability to believe working against you. Uh, and so the, the example uh, would be, let's say someone is afraid of flying. Well, really and truly, you're, you're not afraid of flying. You're afraid of crashing and dying. In other words, you believe that if you get in that airplane, um, that airplane could crash and, and it's very hard to survive a plane crash. So any fear that you have in your life, if, if you'll examine it closely, especially let the Holy Spirit help you, you'll find where... Um, you know, there's something that you're believing that's creating this thing, this experience, this, this feeling in your, in your life uh, called fear. Uh, a, a really simple way to explain it would be if you're afraid of a snake. If you're afraid of a snake, it's because you believe the snake can hurt you. It doesn't matter if the snake is harmless, if the snake can't hurt you. If you're afraid of it, it's because you believe it can hurt you, whether it can or not. All right, so are you seeing this? It's really, really important. So, you know, this ability to believe uh, latched onto something that God has said, like a bulldog, amen, is, um, it, it would be what I would want you to kind of begin to think of and really distinguish uh, as faith. And then, you know, fear being your ability to believe uh, that, uh, you know, the harm of something uh, that could, you know, somehow produce a negative effect in your life. Now, let's, let's do this and we could, and I have, matter of fact, I've, there's in my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, we, we break this verse down uh, ex, you know, pretty extensively. I'm not going to try to do that tonight. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, when he says now abides, he's talking about how faith, hope, and love all stand together. Um, you know, 
let's, you know, faith, the Bible says, gives substance to things hoped for. Um, Galatians says faith works by love. It's energized by love. Um, love is to your faith what gasoline is to your car. It energizes it. It, it fuels it. And, and so, you know, we see in 1 John where you can't operate successfully in faith um, if you don't have love in, in your heart. So when he says now abide, he's saying that these three stand together and work uh, together, faith, hope, and love. And this is the, the, the foundational system for which God created us to live upon. Uh, he meant for us to live a life based upon faith, hope, and love. Now, my experience is that most people on planet Earth are not living their lives based upon faith, hope, and love, but instead they're living a life based upon fear, regret, and selfishness. So the opposite of faith being fear, the opposite of hope, Hope is a confident expectation for something better or good in the future. Regret is, is um, looking back, um, wishing you could do something with opportunities you no longer have, but then also projecting that forward. It's, it's, it's not that hopeless people have no expectation. It's hopeless people only have expectation of more and more negative things, perhaps even progressively uh, you know, worsening uh, conditions as, as their lives move forward. So instead of faith, most people are living more of a fear-based life instead of a faith-based life. Instead of hope, they're more consumed with regrets and instead of love. You know, so well, isn't that hate? I mean, yes, but I, to me it's more personal when we look at the opposite of love, especially if you understand biblical love, agape love. Um, the opposite of it really and truly is selfishness. We're, we're more interested in what's in it for me how can I benefit from these things rather than what can I pour into and how can I be a blessing and add value and benefit to the lives of other people. So now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these um, is, uh, is, is love. Um, I like to say it this way, if I, if I may, and, and, and again, we could teach on these things for a while. Um, uh, faith is your ability to see beyond the created realm. There's more to life than meets the eye. So if, 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 if you know, I look to the Lord, to the hills, that's where my help comes from. So faith is the ability to see beyond what you can discern with your physical senses. Faith is the ability to see beyond the created realm. Hope is the ability to see beyond your current circumstances, uh, things that you're struggling with and dealing with in, in your life right now. Um, and then love is the ability to see beyond yourself. So the greatest of these is love. But think about it, if you, if you can never see beyond yourself, then you'll never be able to see beyond your, your, your current circumstances. And if you can't see beyond your current circumstances, how can you ever see beyond this created realm? So these things, again, abide, stand together, operate and function um, together. So once, once again, fear is your ability to believe working against you. I want us to go now to Hebrews um, the, the second chapter, Hebrews chapter 2, and let's, let's look at verses 14 and 15. I think I may have read these verses last week as well, but let's, let's go back to them um, uh, again. He, he says, and he's speaking of Jesus now, "...inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who..." who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Subject to bondage. So notice now, 
we see that, you know, what Jesus has done for us, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that would be the devil, and he did that so that he could release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It was because Jesus now has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. We have, as, as now, if you don't know Jesus, you do have reason to fear death, but because we've been born again, we have no reason um, uh, to fear death. But the, 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 the specific thing I'm wanting you to see here is that um, a fear of death causes uh, me, you, a, a human being, to be subject to bondage. Now, bondage is, think, think of being enslaved, enslaved to your flesh. Uh, addiction, for example, uh, is, is a form of being enslaved to the lust, the desires of your flesh. And notice that fear causes a person to be subject to addiction or subject to uh, being enslaved by the lust of their flesh. What does subject uh, to mean? Subject to means to, to lean in the direction of, to, to be predisposed to. Um, you could maybe uh, visualize it this way. Um, it's, it's, it's leaving the door cracked. It's leaving the door open. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we see now that, that there is, you know, obviously the Bible says fear has torment, but it's more than just, you know, being fearful and not being able to sleep at night and fear stealing your peace from you and all these other things. That fear actually um, positions a person to be enslaved. Fear puts a person in prime position, uh, you know, for, you know, and, and listen, we could break that down as practical as you want to go. Um, because fear has torment, a lot of people are looking for relief from their anxiety. They're looking for uh, relief from their depression. And, and so a, a lot of people become enslaved you know, to chemicals, to alcohol, things of this nature, uh, because they're trying to cope um, with the torment and, and the discontentment, the dissatisfaction, the unsettling that fear has uh, you know, upon us um, in our lives. So we could, and we could keep drilling deeper and deeper and deeper uh, down into this, but just for sake of our study, fear is a precursor to addiction. I know we have a lot of people that participate in these classes that want to help serve and minister to other people. And so, for instance, if, if, if you work in a recovery program, your recovery program needs to address the underlying cause of fear um, in people's lives. Let's look at another passage, Romans 8 and 15. It says, for you did not receive the bondage, I'm sorry, you did not receive, did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So we see another very important um, parallel here uh, between uh, uh, fear and bondage, fear and enslavement, fear in, and addiction. And so notice he's saying that the, the, the spirit of bondage again to fear, it, it, it just leads us right back um, to fear. So I say it this way, all right? Fear leads to bondage, which leads to more fear, which leads to greater bondage, which leads to greater fear, which leads to greater bondage. It creates a, a, a vicious um, cycle. If, if you understand how a tornado, a very destructive um, force uh, in, in, fallen, in a fallen world, God didn't create tornadoes. They're not the finger of God. They're a part of, of, of a broken planet, and the foundations of this planet, the Bible says, are out of course. And so the, the way uh, a tornado works is it's when a cold air mass and a warm air mass are trying to occupy the same geographical location uh, at, at, you know, at the same time. 
and, and, and so they begin to fight one another. Well, you know how you know, um, warm air rises, cold air, and so they begin to fight. And, and, and as, they, as, they, as they work around each other, it creates this, 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 this churning that, that starts out horizontal, but eventually it creates a suction and, and it, turns, it turns upward. And so again, I'm not trying to be the weatherman here and explain all this to you, but the simple point being is it's, it's two uh, forces that, are, that, that, are, that become you know, fuel to one another that creates this, uh, this self-sustaining cycle uh, in people's lives. And so if, if you want to break uh, addiction down, a lot of times we just think it's, it's, it's the cravings and, and these kinds of things for the substances that sustain or fuel uh, someone's addiction, but really, the the Bible says that it's it's fear. Um, you know, fear leads to bondage, which leads to more fear, which leads um, to greater bondage. And and I'm not just referring to the effect that chemicals, for instance, uh, you know, methamphetamines, um, that that type of uh, crystal meth, that you know, abusing those kinds of substances, uh, just alone physiologically makes people extremely paranoid. Uh, and, and certainly that is, that's, that's part of it, but I'm talking more of, of the emotional effect and impact that these things have. And so um, fear to bondage, bondage to fear, and, and it creates this vicious cycle. So the mistake that people often make is they try, they try to break the cycle on the addiction side with, without ever addressing the, the fear side. And notice it says uh, fear again, bondage again to fear. Um, it starts with fear and then goes, you know, enslavement uh, to the flesh. And so we have to deal with the fear. If we, if we leave the fear unaddressed um, and never deal with it, what is it going to do? It leaves an individual subject to, uh, to bondage. Amen. Well, here is an awesome uh, verse that I recommend you committing to memory. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you remember when Satan came against Jesus, Jesus defeated him by speaking the word of God out of his mouth. And so, um, listen, everybody in, in one way or another deals with, with uh, you know, fear and the dominant negative emotions associated with it. But this is a really, really good way for you um, to, to come against uh, fear in your life is by speaking this verse um, that, it, you know, this didn't come from God. The spirit that God gave us is one of power and love and of a sound mind. Now, just while we're here, uh, I, I feel like we need to talk a little more about fear. And we, and we could, and I have in the past, uh, preached long sermon series on this subject because it's, it's, it's a real issue um, in, in people's lives uh, that needs to be dealt with so that we can enjoy the peace and the joy and, and the freedom, amen, that Jesus paid such a high price for us to have. But in Psalm 34 and 4, um, the psalmist here says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And if you'll notice, uh, I put it on the screen, if you're, if you're listening on the podcast and maybe riding down the road, um, that word fears is plural. Uh, it, it, it has an S uh, on the end. And of course, we know the S means more than one fear. So he said that the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his fears. It's kind of like, you know, several weeks back, I guess it's been months ago now, when we looked at heavens with an S. And a lot of times we, 
we, we miss the S, you know, we think it just says heaven and we don't really pay attention that there's an S on there speaking of more than one. And I think this is sometimes the case with um, this passage where, you know, we don't hear the S, but he's talking about fears, plural, uh, more than one. Now, um, in, in the course of, of, of just my study and my own life experience, um, I have uh, discovered that there are five uh you could say categories of fears, um, you know, five, you know, five categories of fear or, you know, things that would fall, uh, you know, you know, in other words, if he says fears, plural, then, then what are those things? Maybe that's a better way to do it. So let me, um, let me give you uh, what I call, again, five fears common to man. Um, the first one is a fear of lack, a fear of lack. Um, this would be simply, you know, said a different way, a fear of, of not having enough, a fear of not having enough food, a fear of not having, uh, you know, enough money, a fear of not having what it takes um, to, to, you know, meet the demands or, or what have you. So that's, that's what I mean by, um, you know, the fears common to man. But these, these are categories within themselves. In other words, there's a whole lot of different things. Fear of lack doesn't just mean not having enough food to eat. Um, you know, just all the way across the board, um, not having what it takes um, when it comes to the things that we face and, uh, and deal with uh, in, in life. Amen. All right, let me go back to it. So that's number one. Number two, and this is, this is so powerful here, it's, it's a fear of rejection a fear of being rejected, a fear of being turned down, a fear of being told no, a, a fear of, and, and you know, this would, you know, fall into, um, you know, all kinds of things, relationship, uh, you know, related, um, a fear of confrontation uh, would fall under, you know, this one here, uh, maybe even make a case for some of the other categories, but you know, where we, we need to, maybe we're a boss, um, supervisor, and, you know, people working under us uh, need to be confronted about their job performance, um, but we, we fear being rejected by them, uh, and, and so this is, you know, obviously confrontation and correction, be, having to correct others under your uh, authority, never a pleasant thing. If you enjoy that, then you, know, you <laughs> heaven help you, man, praise God, um, but uh, you know, this, this fear of, of rejection would, would, would fall into this whole, uh, you know, intimidation. And, and then right alongside that fear of rejection, uh, you know, would be, you know, think for a moment. And we, we're all guilty of this, I think, um, uh, not to try to put us all in the same uh, boat. Maybe some of the things that some of us have done more severe than some of the things other people have done. But, um, you know, think of all the bad decisions that we've made and things we've went along with in life that we knew better than we did not want to participate in but we did it anyway uh, because of the peer pressure you know sometimes we think peer pressure is just for kids or teenagers or what have you my friend peer pressure <laughs> as long as as we live on a fallen planet we're going to experience uh, some form of of peer pressure and so again that has its roots uh, in this uh, fear of, re of rejection and, 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 you know, trying to do what we think other people want us to do so that we will be um, accepted, opposite of rejection is accepted. 
uh, be accepted uh, by them. Uh, the third fear is um, a fear of failure, a fear of um, failure, a fear of failure. So you got fear of lack, fear of rejection. So number three, five fears common to man is a fear of failure. So <clears throat> I, I don't like using the word risk when I'm talking about uh, faith um, because when we're really doing what God's instructed us to do in agreement with his word, um, there's nothing risky about it. But it's, it's risk in the sense because to our flesh and to our emotions, it, it can feel like risk. It can feel like we're, we're you know, really, really, you know, uh, putting ourselves in a, in a, in a dangerous place. And that's, that's the difference between faith in your heart and, and um, your, your brain. Um, let me just real, real quick like, um, when God created us, He created us to be led by His Spirit in our inner man. And, and that would be what you know, the Bible also refers to as your heart. Um, and when Adam and Eve sinned, they separated themselves spiritually from God, which means they lost their heart connection with God. And in the same way that someone who might lose one of their physical senses, um, let's say someone loses their ability to see, um, that person then will substitute their uh, sense of touch. Uh, people can literally use their sense of touch now to read Braille. Uh, let's say someone loses their sense of hearing, and so now they learn how to either use sign language with their hands or literally use their eyes to read people's lips as they speak. So what's the point? The point is when we lose one of the senses, we substitute another in its place to, to try and make up for what has uh, been lost. And so when we lost our heart connection uh, with God, mankind universally, we tried to substitute our brain uh, in place of our heart for our brain uh, to do what only faith in our heart connected with God can do in our lives. And so this causes a lot of people to, to you know, live by their senses, by what, what they can see. We walk by faith, not by sight. We looked at that verse last week. Um, th that would be you know, trying to use your brain uh, instead of your heart as God designed uh, for us uh, you know, to do. And so let, let's, I use this example uh, as, as you know, tithing. So I'm not here to take up an offering. But by the way, those of you who, who do contribute to the church here through the church website, uh, thank you for that. You're a tremendous blessing to us, and, and, we, and we thank you. We've never, we've never charged for these classes, and we never will. Um, but uh, I know there's a lot of you who tune in that, that do contribute uh, to, you know, to the church through the website. Listen, you, you may have your own church, and you give there. And listen, it's, we're, we're a kingdom-minded people here. So, um, but let's just use tithing as an, as an example. Um, you, you know, a, a child of God, our heart is all in. Or we agree with and what the Bible says about tithing, and we're ready to do it. But our, our brain uh, will try to talk us out of it because our, our brain is an organ of survival. Your brain keeps you alive. Your brain remembers to breathe for you, okay? Uh, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, all that's controlled by the heart of your brain. And, and so anytime that, you know, we start writing a tithe check, our brains have a tendency to try to talk us out of it, tell us to wait to the end of the month, um, put it off in case, you know, you have some emergency. Because, you know, anything associated with faith, your brain 
it, it, it views it as a risk, and because your brain is an organ of survival, it's, it's going to try to get you to play it safe. Okay? So this fear of failure is rooted in all of this, and there's so many things that are in your heart to do, so many things that are in my heart to do that we, and we can make all kinds of excuses for it, but what it really boils down to is we're afraid to try because we're afraid to fail. A fear of failure, that's five fears common to man, that's number three, okay? Now, number four, so we've got fear of lack, fear of rejection, fear of failure, and the number four is fear of the unknown, a fear of the unknown. And, you know, that one almost sounds like a, you know, universal, you know, like, okay, duh. But, you know, that's, think about worry for a moment. Think about all the things that people worry about and then what percentage of those things ever come to pass. Uh, but it's all of these scenarios, you know, what might happen, but what if, you know, this kind of, of, of thinking that's involved. And so many people are so afraid of the unknown that, that they're not living as God created and designed and intended for them to live. Uh, a fear of the unknown also brings this uh, sense of foreboding. It's, it's, a, it's a negative uh, expectation. It, it's, it's an anticipation. What, what did they say? Hee-haw, the old uh, uh, you know, variety, country, hillbilly variety show. You know, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. And so a lot of people you know, have this approach to life and the future that you know, just something bad is, is, is going to happen and it's imminent. And, and it, it's sad to me too because that there are a lot of people who will be experiencing, you know, positive things in their lives, but they can't enjoy it because of a fear of the unknown that it's only a matter of time till something bad happens. Jesus said we're going to face tribulation in this world, but, but he said be of good cheer, not be of fear, not, not to f be afraid of what may happen, uh, but, you know, to be of good cheer that he's overcome the world. And we have overcome because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Now, there's this last one. So we said five fears common to man. And the fifth one is a fear of death. A fear of death. So we have fear of lack, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of the unknown. And then number five is the fear of death. Now, <clears throat> you say, well, man... Fear of death, we're kind of getting on out there, right? Well, yes, but, but I believe, let's go back to the passage in Hebrews, that the fear of death is what predisposes us to addiction or, or predisposes us to uh, you know, being enslaved to the lust of our flesh or enslaved uh, to our emotions and feelings uh, in, in bondage. Um, but I also believe that uh, the fear of death is the, the granddaddy of, or you could say the father of, all the other four categories uh, of fear common to man. Um, because let's go back to it. Why, why will we have a fear of lack? Well, if we don't have enough food, you know, we'll eventually die. Fear of rejection. You, you even hear people, one of the consistently rated, uh, as far as like right up there, top one, two, or three fears that people have is a fear of public speaking, for example. And, and you even hear people associate, uh, have you ever heard this expression, well, you know, they're not going to kill you. But notice we're like, this, we might literally die from getting up in front of people. So fear of rejection obviously has its roots in there. Um, but, but there's something either consciously or subconsciously 
that um, brings us back to that fight, flight, or freeze, that, that self-preservation uh, that, that, that drives this, uh, this fear um, of death. And so <clears throat> this is the simple way, and, and this may be so simple that you could teach your you know, elementary school uh, children this, but it, it still it, it impacts you know, me to this day. Uh, if, you, if you take those five fears and you have you know, five fingers on a human hand, um, then you know, the, the pinky, the ring, the middle, and, 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 the, and the pointer, the index finger, uh, that be the, the fear of lack, the fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, but the thumb being the fear of death. And when you talk about being in the grip of fear, um, it's the thumb that uh, adds the, the greatest to that grip. In other words, if, if you take the thumb out of the, out of the equation, then the grip that fear would try to have on your life uh, is, is, is weakened at, at every joint, at, 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 every, at every finger. And so it's, it's the fear of death that's, that's the real underlying fear that, that fuels uh, and, and underpins um, all of the other uh, four. Praise God. Now, we're going <clears> to <throat> go from fear into uh, number four um, on our list, which is um, the ability to experience and express emotions. I'll, I'll put that list back up. So again, um, we've got what is man, then under the category of what is man, we've got all these things that, that uh, man is. Now we're looking at man as a being created in the image and likeness of God, and underneath that then, you know, if you're, if you're thinking of an outline, you'll scoot over one, and now we're making a list under it. So coming underneath um, man being, uh, being created in the image and likeness of God, we're looking at these specific abilities and characteristics and attributes that we, that we possess as a being created in the image and likeness of God. And so we, we ended up talking about our ability to believe, but remember we said um, as powerful as that is, as far as something positive in your life, it can also be a, a, a very powerful negative uh, ability if used you know, improperly uh, in your life, specifically as, as it uh, relates uh, to fear um, in your life. Now, when we talk about fear, I know that, that some people, and I'm not trying to split a hair here, but some people think of fear as, as an emotion, and certainly uh, fear does produce feelings and, and emotions in our lives, but fear is more than just uh, something that you feel, and there's, 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 there's something associated with that. It's, in other words, you're believing something that's, that's creating uh, the fear and the negative emotions that are associated with it. So let's real quickly go back over our list. Because we are created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to, number one, think, reason, and form opinions. Number two, the ability to agree. Number three, the ability to believe. Number four, the ability to experience and express emotions. The ability to experience and express emotions. Now, this, this is a big one right here. Um, I've, I've said it before, and, and I'll just be quick in, in, in the review of it, but um, you have two eyes, one nose, two ears, and one mouth because you're created 
in the image and likeness of a God who has two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears as well. You have uh, two arms with a shoulder and an elbow and a wrist and a hand and, and four fingers and a thumb on the right and the left. Um, God has a right and a left. God has a shoulder. God has an elbow. God has an ankle, a wrist, a foot, a toe, a tongue, a nose, a mouth. He has hair. He has eyes. He has a chin. He has a neck. Okay. Uh, in other words, uh, all of these things, you know, they existed in God before he ever created you and me in his image and likeness. There are, there are beings in heaven that are not shaped like us, okay, that, that God created. He is very, very creative uh, and, and imaginative in, in the things that, that he creates. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal, okay? Um, so uh, when, we, um, when we talk about these things, um, you know, we, we need to recognize, you know, that, that God was the pattern um, that, that we were created or, or formed uh, according to. But it doesn't stop just with the outward appearance. Uh, and, and this might be, you know, we talk about thinking and reasoning and agreeing and believing and now experiencing and expressing emotions. Um, let's just take anger for an example. Uh, you have the ability to experience and express anger because God created you to look like He looks and to function like He functions, and God has the ability to ex experience and express anger. He has the ability to experience and express joy, just like you have the ability to experience and express joy. Why can you experience and express anger? Why can you experience and express joy? Because you were created in the image and likeness of a God who has that same ability. You can do it because He can do it, because He created you to operate the way He operates, to function the way that He functions. Now, we start talking about emotions and the influence that they have upon our life, either, for the, either in a positive or a, a negative way. Um, if we were to, and, and at some point I imagine that we will, but if we were to go back to the Garden of Eden and really look closely at the sin that Adam and Eve committed, you will see that that was when the first dominant negative emotions entered in to the human race. You'll see that that was when, praise God, that um, you know, fear began to dominate them and they began to hide from God and they began to hide uh, from one another. Father never meant for our lives uh, to be uh, dominated by negative emotions. All of that came as a result of sin. All of that came as a result of the curse that came because of Adam's sin. Now, emotions, though, just as we begin to kind of think of them in a, in a practical way and in, in, in what they do, um, we see that, that they're, they have powerful influence um, over our lives um, because of the influence that they have on our choices. Life is choice-driven. And, and so, you know, one choice leads to another choice and so forth and so on. But choices are, are rarely um, uh, made without emotion. Um, you know, the more impactful a decision in our lives, normally the more emotion that, that surrounds it. And so, we have uh, this ability, but, but, but God, uh, again, created us to be blessed 
by our emotions. I put in my notes that many people are ruled more by their feelings than anything else. Um, I, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I wish I could tell you that every decision I've ever made in my life, um, you know, I'm, I'm made purely from a, a rational, uh, what's best, um, logical, uh, you know, position. Um, but that's not the case with me, and I seriously doubt that it's, it's, it's the case with you either. Um, many, many times in our lives, uh, we have made decisions based upon how something feels, uh, how it makes us feel. Uh, and so again, uh, many people are ruled more by their feelings. Their feelings have more to do with the decisions that they make on a daily basis than any other factor um, in their lives. I mean, just think about how many times, you know, we either think or say, I don't feel like it. Why don't you do this? I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like, you know, did you go to church Sunday? I didn't, I didn't feel like it. You know, there are people who, who wait till they wake up in the morning to see how they feel. They consult their, you know, 7 a.m. emotional uh, report before they decide, you know, what they're, what they're going to do. And my brother, my sister, my friend, listen to me. This is not what God intended. Um, I've never said it this way, but I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me this um, uh, to, to, to give to you. Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. So, you know, remember, Satan cannot mess up your life unless you cooperate with him. Satan can't make you do anything, but he does want to make you his puppet. And, and, and when we talk about, you know, whether is it a marionette, you know, where the, where the guy up there has the, the little thing with the strings going down to the, to the feet and the hands and, and he, you know, maneuvers the puppet. Well, Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll give you a moment to turn there because I'd really like for you to, to see this verse. And... Um, Maybe mark it in your Bible, uh, take note of it, because I, to me, it, it's, um, a matter of fact, I have a sign that I made in my office based upon this verse, and I'll share that with you in just a moment. So um, that's how much this verse, I think, you know, speaks to me. It really draws a, a line in the sand. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12, 2 Corinthians 6 and 12, it says, you are not restricted by us but you are restricted by your own affections. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. By your own affections. Now, let's talk about restricted. Restricted means held back. It means limited. Uh, restricted means that you're being kept from experiencing something or, or doing something um, we have it on our church website. I think it may be still on the church bulletin board here. Uh, the Lord, a couple of years ago, asked me a, a very important question. He said, don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of the wall that you keep hitting? And so we talk about being restricted. We're talking about hitting these, these walls, or you could think of it as a ceiling. You know, this place where you grow and you grow and you get to it and it's like you hit this invisible barrier and you can't break past it. Some type of limitation or some type of restriction or something that's, that's holding you back. 
And so the Apostle Paul, as, as a leader in the church, he told the folks at, at, at Corinth, and he's telling you and me tonight, that, that he says, we're not restricting you. We're, we're not behind this thing that's holding you back. He says, but what is holding you back? What is limiting you? What is creating the ceiling in your life? <clears throat> Excuse me. It's your own affections. Your own affections. Your own affections. Now, I know you hear this word affection, and we think of affection as like having an affection for another person, or you think of it like warm, fuzzy feelings, or some you know, fond uh, you know, uh, uh, love, or what have you, affectionate, be affectionate towards uh, you know, somebody. Well, I mean, that's part of it, but this, this is a Bible word, this is a Greek word, and here is the simplest way that I think we need to understand um, affections. Affections equal desire plus emotion. Desire plus emotion. When he says affections, your own affections, he is talking about uh, things that people desire uh, in their lives that are combined with their uh, emotions. So desire plus emotions, these are your affections. And he says that it's your affections that are limiting you. Now, desire, at, at least positive, well, desire, period. The Bible says that, that, that sin is a result of being drawn away by your own desires and enticed, okay? So, so you know, desire is, is such a powerful thing, both positively and negatively in our lives. Remember when Jesus said, he said, what things soever you desire when you pray, desire when you pray. So many times we talk about prayer, we talk about, you know, correct praying, and we talk about faith when we pray and the importance of believing that we've already received. All of those things are important aspects of, of a healthy and effective prayer life, but it, it begins with desire. It, you know, what, what do you really want? Uh, Jesus said, what shall I liken this generation to in his day? He said, we played the flute and you wouldn't dance. We had a time of, of mourning. Uh, and, and you wouldn't grieve. They were basically um, emotionless. Uh, they, they, they had become numb uh, to life so that they didn't really get excited about anything and they didn't really get uh, sorrowful about anything. Uh, they, they had uh, become emotionally numb or a, a lot of people have just become emotionally, we could use the word neutral, uh, ambivalent. Uh, would be a, 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 another way uh, to, uh, to think about this or, or a manifestation of this um, in, in our lives, kind of stuck, if you will. So affections equals desire plus emotion. Desire plus emotion. And so I mentioned a moment ago the sign in my office, and this is, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me concerning these things, Okay. That God, this, it says it literally like this, not sign in my office, but the part underneath. It says, God is not holding me back and the devil can't, period. I am limited by my own affections. I am limited by my own affections. One more time. God is not holding me back and the devil can't. I am limited by my own affections. I was teaching on this uh, verse, actually other verses that lead up to this as well, uh, several years ago, it was actually at the foundry one morning back when I only taught the women 
uh, on uh, the women's classes on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, and, and, and we were teaching on this verse, and that's when it just really, you know, came so clear to me, and I pray that it came clear to those ladies that morning as well, that I'm limited by my own affections. Uh, if, it, if it's holding me back, it, it's got something to do with desire and emotion, either wrong desire, wrong emotions, um, maybe something that I want but I'm not really passionate about, but it is, a, it is a very powerful thing in our lives when desires and emotions come together. It's powerful uh, positively, and it can also be very powerful uh, negatively uh, in our lives. So God is not holding me back. The devil can't. I am limited by my own affections. Now, I want to just take a minute here and just show you, I'm not going to try to cover them all. It would take the, you know, a long, long time to cover them all. But I just want to try to show you uh, some of the emotions that we see referenced as being, um, you know, in other words, God experiencing and expressing emotions. So I'm going to do this. As a matter of fact, I'll shift over to the, to the screen overlay, and I'll just stay there and go through these verses rather quickly, all right? So the first one we find is in Exodus 34 and 14. Exodus 34 and 14, God says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, and that's capital J, by the way, if you're taking notes at home, <laughs> amen, is a jealous God. Let's go to James chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, I'll probably put too many sisses in there, adulterers and adulteresses, adulteresses, amen, you, you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, yearns jealously. Okay, now, you look at this and you say, whoa, man, I thought jealousy was, was a bad thing. Well, um, when it's in fallen humanity, it, it is. Uh, but the key thing I'm trying to get you to see here is that when it comes to uh, Father and his view of you, his relationship with you, his desire for you, um, that it involves uh, his emotions, uh, it doesn't just say um, the spirit who dwells in you wants you to do right. The spirit who dwells in you uh, is commanding you to be committed uh, and to be faithful. No, he's saying that when we're not faithful, uh, that it affects God in an emotional way. When, when we, that's the whole thing about an, an adulterer, somebody committing adultery. For those of you who don't know what that means, Someone who commits adultery, this is someone who steps out on their, their marital partner and has sex with someone else. Um, adultery is sex between two people where at least one of them is married to another. And so when, when God is calling you know, them adulterers, he's like, look, you know, you're married to me, but you're stepping out on me and, and, and you've become a friend, you've become a lover, uh, if you will, uh, to the world. And he says, do you think that the scriptures say in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? So here, if I could just simply, you know, if I could simplify this, your heavenly father is emotionally connected to you. 
your heavenly father is emotionally connected to you you know i think sometimes we have this idea of like you know like god being the government or something you know and, and I, obviously we've talked about his kingdom and, and these kinds of things but i'm i'm saying like you know like you're just some you know 14 digit number or something uh, to him no 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 he he knows you by name he numbers the hairs on your head he sings over you while you sleep at night he he has written your name like a like a middle schooler you know would 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 write the name of somebody they 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 got a crush on in the palm of their hand he's written his name your name in in his hand and and he is emotionally connected to you you have the ability to to bring him joy and 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 elation uh, and you also have the joy the the you also, rather you have the uh, ability uh, to make him sorrowful and and cause him grief okay so you know, we 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 got to realize this your heavenly father is emotionally connected to you i just because somebody needs to hear it right now he's emotionally connected to you he is eternally committed to you and he is enthusiastically concerned for you okay so emotionally connected to you let's look at some more areas where we see emotions experienced and expressed by god it says for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness the wrath of god is revealed now this word wrath here um, people hear this word and you know they think like just the the fiery judgment of god or you know the 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 outburst of anger uh from god and 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 that is not what this word actually means here the word wrath uh means uh desire with grief desire with grief so we we mentioned a moment ago that affections have to do with desire plus emotions and here when he says the wrath of god and i know that man you know people have preached so many sermons over the years without ever looking up this word wrath it's not that god's not upset with with our behaviors that's not i'm not trying to say that he's not bothered by it but the the the, the bother that he's experiencing the emotional um, um you know feelings that, that he's having uh define you know translated wrath here it's talking about the the high hopes and dreams and desires that he has for us coupled with the grief that he's experiencing because we're living far beneath what we're capable of living um we we could almost call it disappointment that would be a, another way but i don't think this it's not because disappointment is too strong of a word i believe disappointment is not strong enough uh, it's not just that God's disappointed. Um, it's 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 this tremendous desire and longing that He has for us, and the grief that's associated with us not living up to um, our our full uh, potential. Um, let let me let me try to. Because when we hear grief, we 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 have this tendency to think of like somebody that that has has passed. You know, someone. Uh, you know, like I have. Uh, I mentioned, I think already, my next door neighbor, uh, such a beautiful man, one of the best neighbors. Man, I'm so thankful, for, you know, for the years that that, that I live next door to him. Uh, he passed with COVID a few weeks ago, and and so, you know, you hear of people, 
somebody say so and so so and so so and so passed. Well, I mean, obviously, if you have a heart of compassion, you know, you pray for those folks and 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 what have you. But but the grief gets stronger the closer that person is, you know, to you, and and the and the closer the relationship that that you you know had you know with them. Um, it's it's one thing for uh, you know, somebody across town to have a loved one that passed from COVID. It's another thing if you've had, you know, somebody in your family pass from COVID, um, and then obviously within family units and structure, you know, you've got distant cousins and you've got husbands and wives. And so the closer that you are in, in your love and relationship with someone, the greater the impact, the, the stronger the grief. So we, when we begin to understand that you know, Father knew you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. When you begin to understand that he wrote every day of your life down in a book before you ever lived a single day, and then the Bible says we just decided to launch out on our own and do our own thing and move away from the plan that God has for us and the beautiful life that he created and intends for us to live, and now we're out making it up as we go along, writing our own story. Um, it, it causes him grief. Uh, not because he wants to grab you by the by the neck and, and choke you and punish you, but because he loves you so much and he wants desires good for you, uh, and paid the ultimate price for you to have it, and yet we we stray from it and, and and wander from it. So, amen. So wrath then is speaking of uh, desire with grief. Let's. Um, I want to. It's kind of an odd situation here. So. Uh, we're probably not going to go as long as we would normally go in one of our classes. So if you're wondering why I'm shutting it down early, we've had some internet issues here, and I had to record the class, uh, and then I've got to have time to upload it before 5. And so obviously I can put a, a, a note that the class is coming, but I want to make sure we have that uploaded and ready for folks that have made the 5 o'clock uh, class time a part of their weekly routine. So, but anyway, let's go to Ephesians 4 now. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26. Ephesians 4 and, um, and 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. All right, so <clears throat> notice now that the scriptures are telling us to be angry. I know, just hear me out, please, because we remember before, before there ever was a human being with the ability to get angry, there is an eternal God who has the ability to experience and express anger. And we have this tendency to think that anger is a bad thing. Anger in, in and of itself is not a bad thing. Here we're instructed to be angry. Notice he didn't say, don't be angry. No, he said, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. In other words, there Millions of babies being aborted in our country. This, this should make us angry. Um, it doesn't mean that we should go take someone's life. It doesn't mean we should go, you know, burn down, uh, you know, some politician's home or bomb some clinic. I, I, absolutely not. And maybe I'm going to the extreme here. 
just in, in your own interpersonal relationships, people are going to do things that are going to make you angry, okay? Um, whether that's justified or not. But the fact that you, you experience that anger is one thing, but how you handle that and, and manage that emotion is, is something altogether different. So you could be angry, um, but not sin, not start cussing people out and waving the middle finger and getting all, you know, in a tizzy, uh, you know, uh, about these things. So he says, be angry and, and do not sin. And then he says, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So here he's saying that we shouldn't be angry and sin, nor should we get angry and stew. Do you understand stew? Okay. Well, my wife makes a wonderful uh, beef stew. My mother as well. My mother-in-law as well. Amen. Um, and, and stew is, is when you put a big piece of meat uh, on, on low heat in the crock pot or something of that nature, and, and it just cooks and cooks and cooks and cooks and cooks for hours uh, until it just becomes tender and delicious and all that stuff, okay? Well, when he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, he's saying that we shouldn't stew on things. You know, there, there are folks that have let a thousand suns go down on their wrath. What do I mean by that? I mean, they're still stewing over stuff that happened to them 20 years ago. They're, they're, they're still stewing uh, over things that were said to them and ways they were slighted or, you know, they got overlooked for this promotion or something their brother-in-law said about them or something. And, and, and they're just, you know, they're, they, they marinate on that. They, they, they don't forgive. They, they, they don't let it go. Um, and, and, and so th in this case, this is anger. Uh, being used in a way that that father strictly you know tells us not not to let it you know be used and and for it not to be uh you know continuing in our lives so be angry do not sin do not let the sun go down in your wrath then he also says nor give place to the devil and i'm going to put that i'm going to put that back up here because if you'll notice nor give place to the devil is verse 27 but verse 26 ends with a comma and verse 27 begins with a lowercase n so this is all one sentence, if you will. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. So he's saying that, that our anger, um, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but anger can become a, a negative in our lives if, if we allow it to uh, you know, be something that we, we stew on, we don't, we don't forgive people. Uh, and, and, and it leads us to acting in ways that are, uh, you know, wrong and, uh, and sinful. So, now, <clears throat> praise God. Amen. I'm looking at my notes here because there's, I think while, while we're with, here at Anger, let me just, I probably do not have time to do this justice but I feel like somebody watching uh, this right now needs to hear this. And, and the anger, like for instance, you ever heard the expression or maybe you've ever experienced, you know, you say, that flew all over me. Well, anger is, um, it, it triggers and releases very powerful neurochemicals um, in, into our uh, bloodstream. Um, 
and, and that's why sometimes you can feel anger. Uh, sometimes I can feel it coming up like it's coming up out of my legs and, and coming up my body almost like a, you know, temperature on a thermometer, you know, going up. Um, and, and that is um, that sensation. It's, it's those neurochemicals that are being triggered by that anger. Um, anger is a powerful anesthetic. Um, Michael Dye, I refer to him occasionally in these classes. Um, he is uh, the, the gentleman who wrote the Genesis Process, which is a recovery curriculum that is, we utilize at the, at the foundry. And, um, and I heard him talk about a gentleman that was in one of his group sessions, and this guy really wasn't engaged in the recovery process. He wasn't really participating in the group counseling, and so in an effort to try to draw him in because Michael knew that this, this gentleman uh, not, not only had issues with cocaine use, but this gentleman also had issues with, uh, or I should say cocaine abuse, um, he also had issues with, uh, with anger. And so uh, Mike asked him a, a direct question. He said, how much uh, cocaine would you have to have in your system uh, in order for someone to, to hit you in the head with a beer mug and you not feel it. And the guy kind of laughed at that and he said, well, you know, right at the point of passing out, but even then I would probably still feel it. And then he asked him a simple question. He said, have you ever been so angry that someone hit you with a beer mug and you didn't feel it? And, and of course, the guy was was stunned um, as he began to process that. And so, when we when we talk about anger, we can actually be so angry that we have triggered the release of so many neurochemicals in our body that you know someone, you know, in a fight, you know, somebody's actually you know swinging fists and whatever. You know, someone can actually be hurt, seriously injured, and they have no sensation of pain. In the moment now, once all that subsides in their bloodstream, they're going to feel it and feel it big time. But in the moment, they, they, don't, they don't feel any of that. And it, it's the, uh, again, the neurochemicals, uh, dopamine, uh, serotonin, uh, epinephrine, you know, these kinds of things that are being, norepinephrine that are being released in our, in our blood, adrenaline, you know, all these things that are being released and triggered by anger. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this because um, when we are in an angered state, um, we, we feel powerful. We feel in control. Um, I have counseled over many years. Um, I'll just give you an example, okay? And this, if you're watching this and you think I'm telling your story, uh, it, it's, it's a common thing. It's far more common than, than, than I think most people realize. But you take... You take a, a young boy, and this could, this could work with a female as well, but, but just you take a, a, a young boy um, whose mother is being physically abused by another man, and there's something in that young boy that wants to do something to help and defend his mother, but he feels powerless. So when he gets really enraged about it, all of a sudden he doesn't feel weak and powerless anymore. He feels powerful because the the neurochemicals that the anger is releasing in his body. Now, he may never act on that anger, but at least in that moment, it makes him feel less 
helpless and powerful, but instead makes him feel more, more powerful, more in control. Now, obviously, you can push this to the point where somebody loses control, but the general concept is what I'm, what I'm asking you to see here. And so this is why, again, people literally medicate themselves with anger. Uh, it's a phenomenon that, that you may have never considered. This is one of the reasons why people uh, will create drama in family situations. I've seen it time and time again in residential recovery programs where people will stir up trouble around them because that strife and that anxiety and that, and that anger, um, that drama, it literally triggers those emotions uh, and, and the neurochemicals that are behind them uh, and, 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 and literally it's, it's a way of self-medicating, literally self-medicating with, with emotions. One of the most powerful ones, again, um, is, is anger. So, you know, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. The enemy of your soul is trying to, you know, work these things against you. I've said it more than once. He's trying to use what you are against you. And the ignorance on our part uh, is, uh, equals his advantage. Well, um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to end the class a little early tonight. Um, according to my timer, we've been going an hour and ten minutes, so we'll end about 30 minutes early. Um, next week, we're going to get more into things like joy and peace um, and how to have that. We're going to talk about how um, we have control over our emotions, and we need to understand where the, the steering wheel for the emotions are and how to take control uh, of those things. You know, our emotions were never meant to be a runaway train. They were never meant to, to control us or manipulate us or dominate. And so many people, I've heard people say it for years now, you know, that they don't have any control over these things. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we do and, and shows us how. So, but anyway, let me, um, let me pray for you. You know how much I love you. Thank you for your faithfulness to be a part of these classes. Um, we, we have uh, canceled our evening service tonight at Heritage um, just on the side of caution. Um, we've got the potential for some sleet and, and, and uh, nasty weather coming in a little later. And so um, those, some of you I know join uh, that service after this one, but after this class. So, uh, uh, But anyway, let me pray for you. Father, you're good to us and we love you. I thank you for these beautiful men and women. Uh, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And uh, as I do so many times, Father, I thank you in advance uh, for all the uh, people that these men and women are going to be able to impact for your glory as you're equipping us to be more effective in the ministry of reconciliation that you've committed to each one of us, Lord. I thank you for your blessing and favor upon uh, these brothers and sisters. Lord, your word says that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so thank you for rewarding and honoring uh, them uh, and enabling them, Father, to live the life that you created them to live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, tell somebody around you good things coming. Again, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you Sunday or next Wednesday. Uh, maybe some of you even before that. Praise God.